Greetings. My name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 80 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 80, as you can potentially notice from the sound of Scott and my voice, we are going to attempt to conduct the entire episode using NPR voice mode. We have several items to discuss with you on this episode 80. First, Scott and I will talk about various rulebook bugs that are being uncovered as part of the process of the rulebook rewrite project. We'll also spend a little bit of time talking about an upcoming PNW district meet, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the state of virtual quizzing both now and what is to be expected over the next month or two. With that said, let's dive straight into our first topic, rulebook bugs. But before we discuss uh, various specific bugs, I should define what a rulebook bug is in practice. What we've been discovering in the process of the rulebook rewrite project is that the rulebook as it currently stands contains sometimes, and in some places, what we call bugs, which are situations where a phrase or a combination of phrases contradicts itself or is mutually exclusive or rises to the level of adding confusion for the reader. We've also discovered situations in the rulebook where language exists that is not followed uh, universally by quizzing, and in fact is commonly not followed anywhere. And in those, dis uh, in those discussions and debates around the rulebook, we have identified several bugs that we would like to discuss with you now. The first of which is these two different languages on spiritually significance between finish and quote. Scott, would you like to discuss that further? Yes. In the rulebook under finish the verse questions, it says they must be of spiritual value or be significant to the chapter. While under quote questions, it says those must be spiritually significant. So first off, the people reading the rulebook are left to wonder if there is an implied difference between spiritual value and spiritual, spiritually significant, because if the exact same meaning was intended, why not use the exact same words? So either someone made the choice to have them be different, or it was inadvertent and unintended. But we do not know which it is. Additionally, apparently finished the verse questions need to be significant to the chapter, but quote questions don't. And the same questions pertain here. Was that intended or was it an oversight? And so this is something that we would consider to be a rule book bug because the rule book is inconsistent and we don't know of any fundamental, I guess, nature of finish versus quote questions that would cause any of these requirements to be different. Indeed. So moving on to the second item, a fouled quizzer can't answer. Can you clarify what that means? Yes. So let's see. I'm trying to find this is underscoring. The following shall be considered fouls. Anyway, I can't remember where it is, but basically when, oh, there it is. When a quizzer fouls, they cannot answer the next question. Well, it says answer, not jump, which leaves me to wonder if a quizzer is allowed to jump and win the jump on the next question, but then cannot say anything. Now, 
overwhelming odds are that the intention was to say the quizzer is not allowed to jump, but that is not what the rulebook says, and jumping and answering are two very different things. And of course, this raises a very important point about the rulebook. Currently, of course, anyone involved in quizzing who read this particular section of the rulebook would clearly understand the intent behind the language of the rulebook, clearly would be able to understand that a fouled quizzer cannot jump as well as cannot answer. However, someone not involved in quizzing who first encountered this uh, line, not having also been able to witness a quiz meet, would be potentially confused. They may not know necessarily offhand that a fouled quizzer can't jump as well as answer. And therefore, this leads, uh, this particular rulebook bug can lead us toward a sense of tribalism to say, well, anyone involved in quizzing understands that this should be the right way. But the goal of the, one of the goals of the rewrite project is to craft a rule book that can actually be used as a method of evangelism, reaching out beyond the borders of, Christen, of, of quizzed, uh, quizzingdom to attempt to bring in more folks into the world of quizzing. And that is why we refer to it as a rule book bug. The next rule book bug is as follows. Fouled out quizzer, when replaced, seat is ineligible. Could you describe that one in greater detail, Scott? Yes, so the rule book is fairly clear. Three fouls by a quizzer eliminates that quizzer from the quiz. Quizzer must leave the platform. That seat will continue to be ineligible to jump for the entire numbered question, including A's and B's. So it is saying that seat, not just that quizzer, because when quizzers foul out, they may be immediately replaced or substituted for without a timeout. And the rule book is clear. That sub is still ineligible to jump for the entire numbered question. And the rulebook felt it was important to state that for a fouled out quizzer. Now, the rulebook does not similarly state that for uh, a non-fouled out quizzer who commits a foul. It just says the quizzer upon whom a foul is called becomes ineligible to answer that numbered question, including the A and B questions, which again leaves us to wonder was it intentional um, or was it an oversight? Because as currently written, I believe that a, a quizzer who commits a foul can immediately be substituted for, with a timeout, of course, and that seat would be eligible to jump on A and B questions. And if I had to guess, I would imagine that is not what was intended by the writers of this um, rule. Indeed. The next item in our list of rulebook bugs is, the f is as follows. It turns out that according to the rulebook, co-captains can't ask for an explanation of a ruling, which would seem at odds with a general practice and also very strange if, let's say, the captain had either aired out or had quizzed out and was subbed out. Scott, what are your thoughts about this one? So the rulebook is... I feel that it is more inconsistent than just this when it comes to captains and co-captains, but there are times where it specifically says captains and co-captains can do something, and there are other times when it doesn't, and this is one time where it doesn't. And I just, 
I'm imagining <clears throat> the the writer of this rule saying, you know what? Asking for an explanation of a quizmaster's ruling, we definitely want captains to be able to do this, but definitely not co-captains until they have advanced in their experience or something. And I can almost guarantee you that that is not what happened, but that is what the rulebook says. There are many places where it says captains and co-captains can challenge or give a rebuttal or call a timeout, um, but it just says captains can ask for an explanation of a ruling, and that is all. Indeed. The next item on our list is that there is no limit in the current rulebook on subs per timeout. So this one, a little bit, I think it would be unreasonable for the rulebook to list everything that is not allowed. But when it comes to substitutions, there is no limit. So this is mostly governed by the fact that a team could only have one sub due to the five quizzer limit on a team. But there is technically nothing limiting a coach from subs subbing out a quizzer on the stage and putting a sub in and then putting that subbed out quizzer immediately back. Well, now that I'm saying this, a subbed out quizzer has to sit up for three questions. So maybe this is actually not a rulebook bug. What do you think? I can see that it may not necessarily be on its surface rulebook bug, but I would say that it is at least potentially confusing to somebody who has not participated in quizzing before, and therefore I would call it a bug in the rulebook, although perhaps a minor uh, bug relative to some of these others. Sure. Another rulebook bug we have identified in the rulebook project is as follows. There is different language on word perfect, substantially close, or contains the information requested. Scott, can you dive into this one? So the rulebook is clear on finish the verse and quote questions that they must be quoted word perfect. And there's additional verbiage in the rulebook explaining what that means as far as full rotation, correcting a mistake in only one area of the verse or verses, and also not continuing on to another verse. And I think the rulebook is clear. And I think that standard is implying some sort of elevation in importance to the material in those two questions. Now, slightly contrasted to the wording for interrogative questions, um, and I believe this wording actually pertains to multiple answers and other question types as well, but it says an answer is correct when it contains the information requested. So it's simple, but yet it's fairly, fairly precise in that it has to contain the information requested. But then we go on to situation questions, and it talks about the requirements for the quotation to be correct. And it says the quizzer is not required to repeat the quotation word perfect, but must be substantially close without leaving out key components of the quotation. And I just find it interesting to compare and contrast the different wordings used when um, listing requirements for a quizzer to be correct based on the question type is substantially close without leaving out key components supposed to be more stringent or less stringent than purely it contains the information requested i've heard thoughts or viewpoints that believe one way and viewpoints that believe another and i just 
I think it is useful to consider what the intent and application is in these different wordings. Indeed. And although we could decide one way versus the other on this and really any of the rulebook bugs, we have decided in the rulebook project, the rewrite project for version one of this rewrite, we are going to strive for as close to functional equivalence as possible, meaning that when the rulebook is completed in version one, we should be able to adopt it anywhere and have quizzing as a result be substantially unchanged from the way things are done presently. This is done in, in part so that we can achieve ratification of the first version of the new rulebook, but also it sets up a situation where we can then process more appropriately in terms of transparency and communication rulebook changes going forward. The next item on our list is the pronoun quizmaster prompt in the rulebook in the current version is presented not so much as a rule, but as an example. This is when a quizmaster is asked to uh, ask the question, can you identify pronoun? Now, setting aside the articulation of the exact phrase, can you identify, which both Scott and I believe should be replaced with simply clarify pronoun, the example or the language here is presented as an example rather than as a rule in the current rulebook. Certainly, I think we all would believe that this should be a singular standard across all quizmasters, rather than simply an example for a quizmaster to decide to follow or not follow. Scott, do you have any additional thoughts on this one? Not on this one specifically. It is clearly stated as an example when, in actuality, it is always followed as a must because it is under Quizmaster must. So that is really an inconsistency in language where you use a must heading and then use put an example underneath that heading. But additionally, under situation question, or no, not situation, pronoun clarification prompts, it says that the prompt needs to occur when the quizzer has provided all the information in the answer. So in a scenario where a quizzer jumps before the complete question has been read, if the quizzer decides to start answering with just the answer portion, the quizmaster needs to prompt them once they have completed that, even before the quizzer completes the information in the question. In practice, I do not know if this is actually applied by quizmasters, and whether or not it is applied is likely clouded or hidden by the fact that quizzers almost never start answering at just the answer portion, they often will start answering at the point at which they jumped. Indeed. The next item on our list of potential rulebook bugs is as follows. The quizmaster should announce the type. Under the quizmaster should section, it says identify the question type of each question and begin every question with question number blank. Question. Because this is listed under the Quizmaster should section and not the Quizmaster must, it would stand to reason that a Quizmaster not doing this is not able to be challenged, which 
makes no sense. And I'm trying to find where it is. But there is some place in the rule book where it says that you can either throw out a question or protest or something if the quiz master does not introduce it with the word question. So right there, the rule book is inconsistent saying the quiz master should do this but not must. But then later it implies that they, the quiz master must do this. And certainly in practice, I think we all agree that the quiz master must. So again, another small but important rulebook bug. Another rulebook bug is that the uh, rulebook in its present form refers to a head answer judge. However, there is no such thing. In practice, I've never heard of a head answer judge, but yet there are many references to that. Um, even in situations where there might be more than one answer judge for a given quiz room, I have never seen the application of a head answer judge. Similar to this is another phrase that reads spokesperson for the group, which is in the section that refers to a ruling or a deliberation being presented from a challenge it would be provided by a spokesperson for the group of officials. However, that seems both bizarre and contrary to our standard practice of typically the quiz master uh, being the spokesperson for the group. In my experience, almost 100% of the time, the quiz master is the one who introduces or who speaks the ruling, even if there was discussion or even disagreement between the quiz master and the other officials at the table, specifically the answer judge. And I don't think anyone has a problem with this. And so notions like this, while maybe not hurtful, just really clutter up the rulebook, especially for people who are new to the rulebook and reading it for the first time when they have to mentally figure out concepts that in actuality are not important and do not get applied. Indeed. Another rulebook bug is that at internationals, material will be announced for the following quiz season. However, in practice, we understand that the material is typically announced many years ahead of schedule, and we understand that <clears throat> we have a certain year rotation for material, and therefore, without any changes to that rotation, it is predictable many years in advance what a particular season's material will be. Absolutely. And even if this, I can't remember the wording, but even if it is referring to the version used and not the specific books and material, that is also known years in advance. Maybe not eight or 16 years in advance, but always one. At a minimum, if not likely much more. <clears throat> There are also definitions within the rulebook as it presently stands uh, of district, zone, local, and interchurch quizzing, which I find very interesting. Yeah, I have I have never heard references to zone quizzing, local quizzing, or interchurch quizzing, and I also find it interest interesting or weird that the rulebook even defines these competitive levels that mostly don't exist. And in addition, for, say, 
district quizzing, the rulebook says the quiz master and officials will be approved by the district committee or district coordinator, which again, it feels kind of weird for the rulebook to say things like that. I kind of view the rulebook as a constitution, but yet language like this acts like it's dictating rules to individual states, when in reality, no such dictation occurs. Indeed. And in fact, in practice, we have typically agreed that districts have full authority and autonomy to alter or entirely replace any or all rules for their local uh, district uh, competitions. The next item in our list of rulebook bugs is that an answer judge is required to check all, uh, all questions for accuracy in the meet. But of course, this does not happen. It is a weird thing that I think is probably a holdover from a different time. Probably a time when computers were less prevalent and there was an assumption that invalid or incorrect questions would make their way into um, a meets questions. And so charging an official, specifically the answer judge, with checking them before each quiz probably made a lot of sense at a point in time. But we are now at a point in time where computers make it easy to check for accuracy, even right before the question is about to be asked. But um, more ideally, checked at the writing and editing stage, such that I would imagine that the rate of invalid questions in question sets across districts is very, very, very low. And yet this language still exists um, when I'm not sure how much it happens. Indeed. And within the language itself, it refers to a position that does not exist, a head answer judge. Whereas I would hope that if questions are, are going to be questioned for accuracy or reviewed for accuracy, that all answer judges in all rooms would be participating. The next item in our list of rulebook bugs is as follows. The rulebook language implies that the reference is not part of the quote, question and answer. So on, let's see here, on a quote, or reference question, it says, um, if either the chapter or verse were not completely pronounced, the quiz master will say more. And the timing is weird because it says when, if it is not completely pronounced when the quizzer pre-jumped, the quiz master will say more. But it is hard to understand the timing of that quiz master more prompt. Is, is it at the point of pre-jump? Or is it at a different time? That is unclear. But it, all, it goes on to say, once the quizzer has provided all the information in both the question and answer, the quiz master will say, what is your question? And then if the response to the question supplied by the quizzer is more, the quizzer should consider whether the quiz master had completely pronounced the chapter or verse number. So because it said, um, once the quizzer has provided all the information in both the question and answer, it is saying that the reference is not part of the question and answer, which apparently means the quizzer may be required to provide information that is not part of the question or the answer. 
which I think is more a lapse in rulebook wording than an intentionality. Indeed. This also raises another point <laughs> that in many places within the rulebook, the word question is used, but means different things depending upon the context or location of the word being used as question. We call this in software design overloading a particular idea. Therefore, in terms of the word question, the rulebook overloads the word question substantially. As part of our rulebook project, we are attempting to de-unload the uh, or deload the word question and split up in a much more precise way what that word means and what other parts of that word may mean in other contexts. Another rulebook bug is regarding interrogative questions, and this is, is as follows. Questions should not be overly long and should be clear and precise. However, the problem with this is what does overly long mean, and what does clear mean, and what does precise mean? You pretty much summed it up, but it is something that it is a very useful guideline to those writing questions, but is problematic to include in a rulebook which is meant or ideally applied consistently and objectively. And you could ask a lot of different people to define a lot of different people to define overly long, and you will get different answers that are all quote unquote correct. Uh, and therein lies the problem. Indeed. In addition, how would someone, let's say a captain or co-captain, challenge that a question is overly long or challenge that the question is not clear and precise? They could try, but it is hard to prove imprecision or too long, which is why in, a, in the same vein, spiritual significance of finishing quote questions is hard to disprove. But both that language and this language on interrogatives are things that are important and should be heavily discussed and applied when at the question writing stage. But it is problematic for the wording to be included in a rule book for Quizmaster implementation and potential quizzer challenging. Indeed. As far as the rulebook project is concerned, this and many other scenarios that are similar are being addressed by removing the offending sections from the rulebook proper to then create from these removed parts a new document that we are referring to as best practices. These are ways of writing, editing, quiz mastering, answer judging, and scorekeeping, and running meets in general, uh, both in broad and specific cases that are good ideas to uh, do, but are not necessarily rulebook items that can be challenged. Another item from the rulebook bugs list is as follows. Two potentially contradictory quotes. The first direct quotes from scripture versus direct quotation from scripture by a person or an entity. So under finish and quote questions, there is the exact same requirement, which is great. Must, nope, not that one, will be direct quotes from scripture and must 
well, will be direct quotes from scripture. That part. It is the exact same for finishing quotes, which is great. Now, if you scroll down to situations, it says must be direct quotation from scripture by a person or an entity. So direct quotation from scripture and will be direct quotes from scripture, I think is something that we are left to ponder the difference between. I think with situations, because of the context of the question type, it is clear that it is a quotation, something that was spoken. But under finishing quotes, it it is referred to as direct quotes from scripture. And I do not know what is intended by that. Indeed. Another item from our list is as follows. Two to three word unique phrases occurring more than once, but only in the same verse. These last two bullets are perhaps the personification of a rulebook bug. So this first one is on two to three word unique phrases. So under <clears throat> under the interrogative section, it defines unique word as a word that appears only once in the material or more than once if only found in a single verse. So under interrogative questions, it defines a unique word as a word that appears only once in the material, or more than once, if only found in a single verse. However, the phrase, if only found, more than once, if only found in a single verse, is not listed under unique phrases, which I believe is an oversight and not something that was an intention, because it is commonly seen that multiple multiple answers are written on two phrases that occur um, Two, two identical phrases, so of course they occur more than once, but only in the same verse. And it's a pretty common multiple answer construct, which implies that all question writers believe that a unique phrase can exist more than once as long as it exists only in the same verse. But the rulebook does not state that as valid at all. Indeed. This comes to the conclusion of our list of No, there's one more. There is one more. So the last one is on chapter verse references. So for a valid chapter verse reference, it has to be the exact same word or phrase. And for chapter verse references, it's the exact word or phrase appearing more than once in a chapter. Well, let's look at the exact word appearing more than once in a chapter. That could be a unique word if that word appears twice in a chapter, but only in the same verse. So the rule book, by its wording, allows a chapter verse reference question, a valid one, on this sort of unique word, which obviously is not intended at all, but um, it is not prevented by the rule book language, which is a classic, classic bug. Indeed. Well, and with that, we are at the end of our current listing of rulebook bugs. Certainly, there may be more that we find, although we are nearing the end of our first phase of the rulebook project. So likely, we will not find a great number more, or at least that is our hope. So moving on to our next topic, I want to speak briefly about an upcoming district meet in Pacific Northwest District. Our district meet number two 
is coming up in just a little bit, about three weeks away. It starts on December 4th, Friday, and continues into December 5th, Saturday. Quizzers, make sure you study uh, through the holiday season, through Thanksgiving and beyond, and make sure to switch to your reviews starting about the last week. Coaches, be sure that you are registered or that your teams are registered on the PNW Quizzing website. If you have any trouble with registering, please let me know. This meet will be virtual, unfortunately, although that certainly is a nice uh, consideration during this particularly bleak weather time uh, with road conditions being unpredictable in many parts of our district. Now, speaking of virtual, I do want to chat a little bit about where we think virtual quizzing is going to be going. At the beginning of this season, we were hopeful that we would be able to do one or possibly two meets virtually, and then we would quickly return to our standard practice of in-person quizzing. Unfortunately, our transition to in-person quizzing will likely be delayed somewhat. In PNW in particular, in both Washington and Oregon, there are new antivirus policies enacted this week, starting partially yesterday, some today, and I believe some even tomorrow, but that these policies once enacted will make it very difficult for us to do in-person meet uh, opportunities uh, between now and say through uh, Christmas time. We are always hopeful and pray that these solutions will be effective and that in the early, very early part of 2021, we can return to in-person quizzing. However, if these additional antivirus procedures or policies are extended beyond the middle of December, it is likely that PNW will not be able to return to in-person quizzing until potentially as late as March. Certainly, there is a fair bit of debate about whether this is the best course of action for Washington and Oregon. We can all disagree on what we think should be the best course, but we can be supportive, positive, and an example to others of what true Christian-like attitude is all about. I think this is both our duty and our calling. This is our opportunity both to demonstrate what Christianity is about but also to pray for our world, our countries, our leaders, and for quizzing. Most important, we need to pray that God's will be done, not our own will. Certainly, we all wish to return to in-person quizzing as soon as possible, but uh, that is in God's plan and God's will, not our own. Finally, I would like to point out that while we have been speaking of the rulebook bugs that Scott and I and Jeremy and Zachary have discovered through the process of the rulebook rewrite project, we would also like to, uh, well, we have also been discussing rulebook bugs in the Slack channel inside Dash Quizzing. And in that discussion, we had raised the idea of asking quizzers for the best possible exploit to a rulebook bug. And this has formed into the exploitation of a rulebook bug competition. Scott, do you have any thoughts or comments about this? 
I think it would be very cool for quizzers to dig into the current rulebook and try to find those little wording inconsistencies or potential inaccuracies or things that spawned situations within their own district that they found interesting and they they saw could be either improved upon or exploited in a not terribly negative sense. But we want people to dig into the rulebook and find ways that it is not perfect in its consistency and wording. And we're not really looking for people's ideas on changes, like things that they just want changed, because as you know about Griffin and I, we each have a million. But we're really interested in those inconsistencies or wordings that make it really hard to apply or rulebook language that is applied inconsistently or in a way that is not literally stated in the rulebook. Indeed. When you find such exploits or when you have developed your exploits, you do not need to implement these exploits in a quiz. Simply visit the Inside Quizzing channel on Slack and share your exploit in that channel. The quizzer or set of quizzers coming up with the most inventive or most devious of all exploit rulebook bugs, exploitation of rulebook bugs, will win this particular competition. We have not yet decided what award we will be presenting, but rest assured it will be something <coughs> remarkable. And with all that said, I believe we are at a close of this particular episode, episode 80, our infamous, soon-to-be infamous NPR episode. So with that, I would like to remind everyone that we would very much like to hear from you. If you would like to email us, please do so at iq at cbqz.org. That is iq for inside quizzing at cbqz.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And we would like to discuss any and all topics related to quizzing with you inside our Slack channel of Inside-Quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thank you all for inviting our dulcet tones into your homes. <laughs>